Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. We'll turn to 1 John. We're going to read from 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. Uh, we're going to jump in, and we're actually going to finish chapter 3 today and step into chapter 4. Um, <laughs> the original Bible wasn't written in chapters, by the way, so it's one long letter, so it really does go together, all right? It's all connected. Uh, but let's look at verse 24. This is something that we've been talking about for a few weeks, uh, because John has been very, uh, he's been emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, we talked about speaking in tongues. The role of the Holy Spirit is not just about tongues, but it is about speaking in tongues. It's about communing with God. It's about fellowship with God. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us. Jesus said, he said, it's, he said, it's good for me physically to leave you in order that I may pray to the Father and he may send the Holy Spirit who will be a comforter and a teacher to you. He will remind you of all things that I have taught you. And so this Holy Spirit is a, is a big deal. It's a big deal with regard to walking with God. And so if you, are, if, you, if you are a believer in Jesus today, but you have not experienced the Holy Spirit, man, it is time to step into a fresh new revelation of who Jesus is and who God is. Um, because you have experienced the Holy Spirit on some level. Uh, you might just not know it yet. And so you need to be baptized in him. You need to receive his fullness. And John says this is actually a part of being saved. This is part of how we know that we are saved. And so here in verse 24, and by the way, if you're not a Christian today, if you're not a believer, you very well may have also sensed the Holy Spirit in your life. You may have sensed him drawing you, calling you, uh, popping up in random ways, uh, alerting his presence to you, and uh, this, is, this is who he is. It says, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, abides in Christ. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. In other words, we abide in Christ, and Christ abides in us. There's this reciprocal relationship, and by this we know that he abides in us. This is how we know, by the spirit whom he has given us. Okay, so this is, this is how you can know. Now, now, the very next verse says, Beloved, chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Now, in other words, he just said, this is how we know that we are in Christ. And he's given us a few ways to know throughout chapter 1, 2, and 3. But now he says, one of the greatest ways that we know that we're in Christ is by the spirit that he has given us. And then he says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are of God, to see whether you have the spirit of God inside of you. Because, he says, many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, that word confess is, is uh, the original Greek word is homo logos. Homo means the same thing, and logos means a word or to speak or to write something. And so it's literally every spirit that says the same thing. The same thing as what? The same thing as the word of God. The same thing as the teaching that is found in the word of God. He says every spirit that confesses or says the same thing concerning Jesus the Christ has come in the flesh is of God. It's that simple. A lot of times in church we get, uh, I don't know if, you, if you've been a part of church for a while, you, you'll notice people test the spirits in all kinds of ways. They test it based on how, they, how it feels, 
I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't feel God there. I didn't feel the, the spirit of, I don't know. I don't know what's up with church today. I didn't feel the spirit. Well, okay, that is one way. You can indeed sense and feel the spirit. Absolutely. But that's not how you know whether the spirit is of God. Well, those people are a little loud, a little, 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 little bit loud, a little bit weird, a little bit strange. They fall down. They do different things. Okay, well, that's not how you know whether the spirit is of God. Or sometimes those people are a little quiet. Okay, sometimes the spirit of God is quiet. The spirit of God, I've, I've, one time we were traveling uh, with, with traveling minister and we went to this church and there was going to be a Saturday night service and a Sunday morning service. And so we go on Saturday night and we meet in this, so we drive by this beautiful old church, this brick church. And uh, I think that's the church, right? That's where we're going. And, and, and our, our, our chauffeur drives us past that building over to a building next to that, a metal building, really low ceiling, fluorescent lights. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's kind of like the youth room. <laughs> and so we have Saturday night church in this weird building. I'm like, so what about that one? <laughs> they're like, no, 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 this is where we have church. And I like, okay, I thought maybe they're doing remodeling or something. And so we go into this church and literally they had, I think I counted, it was like 10 different singers, on this huge stage, and it was really short, but it was really wide, and they had like two piano players and like four guitar players, and they were doing these uh, songs, which I knew and liked. They are doing some delirious songs, but it was the worst version of worship you've ever heard in your life. It was so bad, I went back to the camera guy, and I said, are you guys recording this? He said, yeah. I said, can I have the CD or the DVD of this? Because I just, I would love to, you know, watch it uh, at home in the privacy of my home. Because it was, it was that bad. It was remarkably bad. It was so bad. The, the, the lead singer, she was doing all these hand signals to all the words. She's like, over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. And I was like, is she really, like, are we in children's church? Like, what is going on? And, and, and they just kept singing these choruses over and over and over. Like it went on and on. Like you think we go long, like they went long and it was bad. And I was like, and so I, and so I lean over to the, to the minister's wife who I'm with and I'm like, should I do something? Like, I don't know. Do I need to like, and she's like, no, this is, woo, this is bad, but it's all right. We'll just keep going. And so anyway, so, so, so the, the, the minister gets up and preaches. And so that's Saturday night and I'm gearing up for Sunday morning. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be something else if that's Saturday night. Well, Sunday morning, they pick us up from the hotel and they bring us not to the youth building, but to the big brick, beautiful building. And I'm like, I thought church was over there. He says, no, no, no. On Sunday morning, it's over here. And I said, okay. And so we go in and the same 10 singers that were like, they're in the beautiful building. Only now they all have these robes on and they're in these, it's like it's old organ, like this big old brass organ pipes, you know, and they're in these risers and they're, they have their, their little hymnal books and the lead singer that was like there last night doing over the mountains and the seas of like, she's like, all right, turn to hymn number 467. And I'm like, what, what is going on? And so they start singing, you know, great is thy faith. They start singing these hymns and it's awesome. It's amazing. I'm like, what? So afterward, I'm like, I was talking to the guy. We went out to eat. And I said, so what is going on here? Because Saturday night, it was kind of, you know, it was, it, was, it was a service. And then Sunday morning, it was, it was a service. Like, and you guys all had your robes and you're like swaying. And it was like, I, I was feeling it. And they're like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the young kids, they want a contemporary service. So we're trying that on Saturday night. I said, you might want to just do what you do because what you do is good. But this whole other thing, like the young kids, they don't, they're not, they're not going to be. But it's interesting. We think the spirit is a, is a style of worship. 
We think it's a particular song. We think it's a, you know, Bethel or something. But it's not. The Spirit of God will walk into a Presbyterian church. And they're not going to shout. They're not raising any hands. And the Holy Spirit, I've felt him in terms of feeling. I've felt him. But the main key to to experiencing the Spirit of God is not what you feel. That's why you can't trust your feelings, because you just might not like the song. Or you might be distracted by the, the hand motion and all that stuff. That may throw you off. The way you tell the Spirit of God is this right here, whether he confesses that Jesus is the Christ and that he has come in the flesh. Now you say, well, that sounds too simple. Oh, no, no, no. That's not simple at all. That's huge. He says, he says every spirit that is of, of God confesses that Jesus is the Christ and has come in the flesh. And then he says, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is the Christ and has come in the flesh is not of God. He says, and this, by the way, is the spirit of the Antichrist or the replacement Christ, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. And uh, next week, I'm going to preach about this verse. You are of God, little children, and, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater Come on, then he who is in the world. So I'm looking forward to that one. But today I want to talk to you about uh, how to know the Spirit of God, specifically uh, about who Jesus is. The Spirit of God will always teach you who Jesus is. Anytime you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will begin to teach you who Jesus is. I was uh, talking to Donna a while ago, and sometime I want Donna to share her testimony this Donna, we have that. that she, can, she can share her testimony too. But, uh, but no, we have some great testimonies. And I don't know if I'm going to slaughter it like I slaughtered Jana's job last week. But um, J- Donna was telling me about when she got saved. It was in the 70s. Am I right? And you were stoned or high or all the above, drunk, stoned, high. Okay. She was out of it. She was on drugs. And her and her friend go to this church and they say at the end, hey, if you want to receive Jesus in your heart, go down to the basement, right? Like you get a spe- separate place to go pray. And so she and her friend say, yeah, we feel like we need more. And so they're, they're kind of out of it. And they go to the basement or go to the special room and they pray over them and they receive Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus. And immediately she's filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. But remember, she's also... St- stoned out of her mind. So she thinks it's just the drugs, right? This is a weird experience. But the next day, the drugs have wore off, but the spirit is still there. The speaking in tongues, the, 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 the whole thing. And it, What's that? Yeah, and she, she left drugs from that day on because she found something a lot better. And But she did go back to the church, right? You went back to the, the church because and you were like, yeah, you live there. Well, she's like, she's like, what's happening to me? Like, what did you do to me last night? You know? And they said, oh, they explain, oh, you've, you've received the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. And what was cool about that, see, because we, we can listen to that story. We can think, can you, you can't receive the Spirit when you're high or drunk. Like, really? Uh, well, you can. But the test of it, the test is what happens after that. So what happened after that was she began to have a voracious hunger to learn more about Jesus. She began reading the Bible and understanding it. What, what is that? That's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not content with you just to experience him. He wants you to experience Christ, Jesus. And so the way you experience Jesus is you learn about him. So the Holy Spirit will teach you about Jesus. And so as she says, then she lived at the church and she uh, just, because it creates an insatiable hunger inside of you. Which is why it's so important that you have the Spirit and not just some religion like, well, I should read the Bible. But if you actually have the Spirit, you will enjoy learning about Jesus. 
And so it's important, it's important that we differentiate between the spirit of hype and the spirit of modern uh, worship music and the spirit of emotionalism and the spirit of God. And the way you distinguish that is the spirit of God will teach you about Jesus. So if you come across somebody who claims to be full of the spirit and they don't have a clue about who Jesus is, they're not full of the spirit of God. They're experiencing things. They're, they're experiencing emotions. But the Spirit of God will create inside of you an insatiable hunger to learn about Jesus. And so you will learn about him. You will know him. Specifically, you will know a few things. Number one, he is the Christ. So I just have two points for you today. Jesus is the Christ. And maybe this is more of a doctrinal sermon. I don't know. It's not exactly motivational as much as it is informational. Jesus is the Christ. And the Christ, by the way, is not his last name. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that's his last name. Like that's not, it's not even his name. His name was given to him at birth, the name of Jesus assigned to him by the angel. But Christ is a title and it's an Old Testament. It's an Old Testament biblical title, which it comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. Now there are various anointed ones in the Bible. So you have uh, King David was an anointed one. So in a sense, he was a Christ. He was a Christos. He was somebody who was anointed by God for a specific task. Uh, Samson was anointed by God, filled with the Holy Spirit for a specific task. Uh, the, the Christ, or a Christ, just simply means somebody who is anointed by God to do something. But when we say that Jesus is the Christ, we say that we mean that he is the anointed one, meaning he, his anointing is different than everybody else's anointing. He was anointed for a specific task as well. The, his specific task that he was anointed for, the spirit of the, because he said, he read from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and it, because he has anointed me, right? To proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to bring sight to the blind. The spirit of the Lord had anointed Jesus for something different than he had anointed David and Samson and Saul and anybody else. By the way, we are called Christians. So we are anointed ones. We are Christosians. We are anointed ones. Ones who are experiencing and have experienced the anointing of God for a specific task. But Jesus' task is different than anybody else's. And so you have to understand that Jesus wasn't just anointed to be a prophet. He wasn't just anointed to teach or to preach or to heal people. He was anointed to set people free. He was anointed to be a savior. And specifically, the Savior. He, unlike anybody else, was anointed to save people. You and I may be anointed for different things, but we'll never be anointed to save people. So Jesus was anointed. From the Old Testament, his anointing was prophesied. Jesus, uh, the, the Father, had told the woman uh, after the fall of man, when, 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 when he was explaining the effects of the fall, he said that from her seed there would be someone who would crush the head of the serpent. That's Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. All right, you and I are not the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus specifically said of himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Because he alone has the particular anointing of salvation. He alone can save. He alone can deliver. He alone can heal of the wounds that are, that are of the soul. Now, God may anoint someone to heal physical bodies and give them an anointing to do that. But Jesus alone has an anointing for salvation. And it's important that you understand that Jesus only has that. Because false teachers, John says, have come into the church and they have started to say other things than the fact that Jesus alone is anointed to save. False teachers will say, well, Jesus plus your good works. 
<laughs> False teachers will say, Jesus plus your Bible knowledge. False teachers actually may even, uh, like Oprah, have a, have, a, have, a, have a show and a large following. And I was watching one time when she said that, that basically God is like a big mountain. You know, he's like a big mountain and there's a lot of different ways up the mountain. And it really doesn't matter which way you go because there's, there's various ways up the mountain. You may have heard a, a similar concept. In Austin, it's pretty popular. In any kind of populous society where, where, we, where we tend to believe that there are multiple ways to God, it's going to be very popular to recognize God as a mountain. But, and I've heard people tell me that. I've had one, one girl left City Chapel because she said she just couldn't believe. She couldn't believe in a God who would create a place like hell, which is pretty awful, by the way, and then give people like 70 years or so to figure it out, to figure out what, what, what is the right thing to believe. And if they don't figure out, he throws them in hell. And I said, well, first of all, that's not really what the Bible says. So I don't believe that either. But secondly, I cannot admit that there are other ways of going about this. Jesus said he was the only way. And so if he's not the only way, then he's a liar. And if he's a liar, he's not a very good way. Not even a good way. <laughs> and so I, I cannot believe. And, 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 and honestly, that's, that's because I know God and, and I believe him. And if you don't believe him, then you're going to have to figure this one out for yourself. But if you, if you are trying to figure that one out, can I just propose to you, suggest to you an idea that Oprah doesn't know God either. Otherwise, she wouldn't say that. She doesn't know mountains either, or she wouldn't say that. Roe Ro is fascinated with mountain climbing, and so she watches a lot of documentaries on climbing like Mount Everest, 29,000 feet, kind of a big mountain. Um, the first human to ever climb it and come back down alive was uh, a New Zealander. By the, by the name of Edmund, Sir Edmund Hillary, and, um, and then one of the locals, too, climbed with him, a Sherpa. And they took a picture, of, they photographed themselves, and then they came back down alive. They're the first humans that we know of to climb Mount Everest and come back down alive. Because it's dangerous. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so Edmund Hillary, back in 1951, climbed Mount Everest and came back down. To this day, the path that Edmund Hillary took is the path that people take to climb Mount Everest. Now, that, now, now technically, there's two paths. They've, uh, I think some, uh, the, the, the Chinese army figured out another way on the south side. So there's one path on the north side and one path on the south side. And these paths are so necessary that they have a, a base camp that you, that you go, if you want to climb Mount Everest, if anybody's interested, uh, you don't just walk out of Starbucks and go climb Mount Everest. <laughs> I think I'm going to climb a big mountain today. I'm just flying over there and just climb on up it. No, you don't even do that. That's not how that works. You, don't, you have to, number one, like the greatest athletes of, in the world in the best shape of their life are the ones who attempt it. About 800 people every season. And of those 800 people, 7 to 14 of them die on the path through exhaustion, 
through uh, lack of hydration, through lack of oxygen. So if you want to climb Mount Everest, you have to fly in, you have to go to base camp, and you have to stay there for six weeks just to acclimate your body to the lack of, to the altitude, the lack of uh, oxygen that is at that altitude. So you have to hang out for six weeks, train your entire life, hang out for six weeks, and then take one of two paths. And that path is so important that they have marked it out with a rope. So they have a massive rope that's staked in the ground all the way up you hold the rope you let you like that's how that's how much they want you in that particular position i'm just all, all i'm just saying is it's a good thing oprah didn't record her show at the base camp of mount everest or we'd have a lot more than seven to 14 people dying every every season you know what i'm saying oh just go up any way you want i mean you know that that, that new zealander he's a bit of a bigot like there's only one way up this thing you just choose however the heck you want to go up no you will die <laughs> not even joking you will freeze to death you will suffocate to death you will die of exhaustion you will die people have tried all these different ways and it doesn't work and it's amazing to me that that, that that Oprah would never do that she would never go to the base camp of Mount Everest and just tell people willy-nilly figure it out for yourself just whatever you feel feel which path is the right one and yet she'll say, well, we got Islam, we got Judaism, we got Hinduism, we have Buddhism, we have Mormonism, we have Christian, we have like, you know, Hare Krishnas, we have like at least seven major ones. You mean to tell me there's at least seven major ways to God and only two ways to the top of Everest? Like as if God is less dangerous than Mount Everest? As if God is shorter perhaps than Mount Everest? As if God is perhaps skinnier than Mount, perhaps he's a bit less of a steep climb. <laughs> we can actually measure Mount Everest. We can fly over it. We can, we can check out its mass and figure it. Like, we, can, we can't measure God. No one's been able to stick a ruler next to him and figure out just how tall he is or how wide he is or how powerful. Nobody's been able to find the extent of what he can do because the further out we go in the universe, we see the universe is going further and further even now. He said, let there be light, and that light never stopped, and it continues to create, and it's expanding. And the question is, is, is it, what is it expanding into? Is it creating something new or is it into this space? Like, and we don't know. We, we can't even figure out simple stuff. Like stuff we examine every day, like your brain. The lack of information that we have about the human brain is astounding. Pretty important piece of information, and yet our doctors are still mystified by it. But, oh, just figure out any old way you want. Not only is God extremely bigger than Mount Everest and far more mysterious, it's, it's a much bigger cost. I mean, the worst thing that could happen if, if Oprah set up her shop at base camp number one, by the way, there's six different camps along the way because you, you, you're going to need it. Uh, the worst thing that could happen is she's like, yeah, take any path you want. Just, you know, here's a Starbucks, just figure it out. And random people just wander off and they're going to die. That's the worst thing that's going to happen. They're going to die. The worst thing that's going to happen, you're going to slip into the delirium usually from the documentaries that I've seen, which I'm sure is quite uncomfortable and quite confusing. And then you start taking your clothes off because you're really hot and you're actually freezing to death. And then you pass out. And then your organs shut down, your brain shuts down, and you're dead. That's it. That's the worst thing that happens if you get it wrong on Mount Everest. But Scripture warns us very clearly that 
getting it wrong on the mountain of God is a whole nother level. If you fall off of that mountain, you never land. If you fall off of that mountain, you are in a place that Scripture describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. I was talking to somebody just this week because we talk about fire and brimstone and stuff like that, which is a part of hell, apparently, uh, according to the Bible. Uh, falling, drowning, and burning <laughs> eternally. Those things are all listed. But there's this other part that says that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I was talking to them because they were experiencing some a demonic presence in their house. And I don't know, I could probably do a show of hands in the amount of people that have had an experience with a demonic presence. And that fear that you feel, that, 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 that deep panic, you know, which is basically like the scent of the demonic. It's like anytime they're around, you just, you feel that, which is why I tell them to get out real quick. I don't, I don't deal with that. But hell is full of that 24-7 because it is unabated demonic oppression. There is no telling them to get out. They are your permanent roommates and tormentors. There's no hand withholding them. There's nothing holding them back. There's nothing telling them you can go so far and no further. And so, and so hell is not only uh, physically, uh, you know, bodily painful, I shouldn't say physically, bodily painful in some, some form or way, but it's also emotionally. It, it, this is why you, you live in that for 24-7. And so it's incredibly important that you don't fall off the mountain of God. It's incredibly important. This is why Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so as, as the Holy Spirit begins to teach you about Jesus, he will teach you that Jesus is the only way, not because he's trying to be bigoted or exclusive or, you know, those other people, they have lame ways. He's not trying to put any other way down. He's trying to let you live. And Jesus is the only way up the mountain of God. And as I hold on to Jesus, like, like Jesus is the way through all of life's trials. Jesus is the way through all disappointments. Jesus is the way through all sin on all addictions. Jesus is the way through all depression and all anxiety. Jesus is the way to God. And I, and, I, and, I, and I believe that because the Holy Spirit is telling me that. I believe that because the Word of God tells me that. But I also believe that because I look up the mountain and I see people have gone before me and they're calling down to me from the, you know, how did you get through that? I held on to Jesus. How did you get to where you're at? I held on to Jesus. How did you die with a sense of peace and happiness? I held on to Jesus. How did you get through that divorce? I held on to Jesus. How did you get through the loss of a child? I held on to Jesus. And so, and so Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Christ. There is no other Christ. There's no other Savior. It's not Muhammad. It's not uh, Joseph Smith. There's no other Savior. Joseph Smith was, was the founder of Mormonism back in the, the mid early mid-1800s. And it was kind of an offshoot of Christianity. He held some of the scripture to be true, but then he also got this other special book, which was a golden book, apparently. Fully, like the whole thing is golden. Entire, the pages were made of gold, and somehow he was able to hold it. 
That's interesting. But uh, he was a bodybuilder, I guess. And um, he got this, uh, because people have actually, people people have gone through and they've said, well, if each page was gold and they figured out how many, because he translated into the Book of Mormon, because it was written in a special language only he could understand. And anyway, uh, so they've gone through and they've measured the amount of pages in the Book of Mormon with the amount of pages in the gold book and how much that thing would weigh. It's like in the thousands of pounds. It's ridiculous. And they've never been able to find it. I think he was in Indiana or Illinois or something. He buried it apparently. And no one's ever been able to find it. So uh, he initially said seven angels brought it to him. Then he said three angels brought it to him. Then he said one angel brought it. He changed his story a few times, not just about that, but a few other things. But anyway, he, he said that there was, there, was, there was multiple, you know, that there was this, this new revelation. And really what he was attempting to do is answer some of the questions that Christians have. So the Bible says, Genesis 1, chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God and then it just goes on from there. And everyone's like, so who's God? Where did he come from? Why is he here? Well, that's kind of what the Book of Mormon attempts to answer. God apparently is a guy named Jehovah uh, from this planet uh, near another planet called Kolob. Nobody knows where that is. <laughs> and it's not important. But anyway, he's, he's been there on this planet all by himself uh, with these spirit wives that he got to impregnate and just keep them pregnant and fill up the whole planet. And he got that because he had, it was a reward for living the perfect Mormon life. And so you can see why pretty, pretty quickly a lot of guys were interested in the Mormon religion, you know, because it's like, man, if I do this thing right, like I get a whole planet, me and several spirit virgins, and we just get to make babies like for perpetuity. Like this is going to be great. I don't understand why the women jumped on board because they're just going to be pregnant all the time. You know, apparently uh, ladies back in the 1850s, a little different than ladies nowadays, but uh, yeah, they were like, oh, it's pretty good. I'll be wife number 17 and uh, it'll be an honor to just pop them out for the, yeah, I don't know. It was a little strange, but anyway, like this was the reward. And so you see how, when you get off on Jesus, then you get off on you. And in many ways, I think Joseph Smith was trying to elevate humanity because, because this is, this was his idea, which, which goes back to the scripture. If we go to the, back to the passage in first John, he says, he says, any spirit that says Jesus is the Christ, that's step one. But then he says, this Christ has come in the flesh, that's step two. Has come in the flesh. It's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? Not he came in the flesh, but he has come. Uh, it wasn't a past tense thing. It was, but it was past tense with present results. And by the way, even just saying it like that lets us know that Jesus is different from the rest of us. Because nobody's ever said Harry has come in the flesh. <laughs> because Harry's always been in the flesh. As long as Harry has been Harry, Harry has been in the flesh. As long as you have been you, you've been in the flesh. And so the pre-existence of Christ is really important because it says that the Spirit of God will teach you that Jesus, the Christ, has come in the flesh, meaning he was somewhere else prior to his birth in Bethlehem on Christmas night. Oh, holy night. So prior to the oh, holy night, there was a Jesus. And yet prior to your mom cursing your dad out as she pushed you (laughs) uh, in a hospital bed, there was no you. Right? So that's what makes you and I different. That's what makes Jesus unique. But with the Mormon church, Joseph Smith taught that actually all of us were preexistent that Jehovah was on his planet having all these spirit babies. 
And there's like millions of them. And that's us. And it's also a guy named Jesus. It was like, well, I, I think Jesus was maybe his oldest, I, maybe. Um, but it was also a guy named Lucifer. They're brothers hanging out on this planet. And, and I mean, you know, if, if anyone's ever had siblings, you know some of them could be very different. These guys are really different. Uh, but anyway, they, then, then they, they decide, Jehovah decides to go populate a new planet so that his kids, all his babies, can have a chance to become little Jehovah's themselves. This is probably oversimplification. I'm sorry for all the Mormons watching this. But uh, you, can, you can, if you want to study this heresy, you can go to the Book of Mormon if you like. This is one of the ways up the mountain that you will fall off and it will not work. So that's why I'm not treating it with the most, uh, uh, you know, sensitivity. But, but what happens is this, this Jehovah, he sends Jesus and I think uh, Michael, like, which is another one of his kids, to go find, and they find planet Earth, and they're like, hey, this is a good spot. And so they, they, they decide to populate it by creating humans and then sending those spirit babies into the humans. So the idea is that you were preexistent, even though you don't remember it, because he, 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 he uh, blacks out your memory. He, like, does something. So you, you, were, you, you had a relationship with God, with Jehovah, on this planet near Kolob, and you were hanging out with him for thousands of years. And then he sends your spirit into a body, which totally forgets all of that. And then you're supposed to try to live the Mormon, the perfect Mormon life so that then you can be elevated. And so this is what Jesus did. Jesus lived the perfect Mormon life, apparently, and then he was elevated to status of Jehovah. Now he's he going to get his own planet, and uh, he's going to have a lot of fun with that. Uh, but if you want to get your own planet, you also need to uh, have a perfect Mormon life, right? Go to the temple, get your coin, get your special underwear, which is, is devil-proof and bulletproof and fireproof and all that stuff. And, like, you go through all this stuff, do all this stuff, and if, 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 if you can be good enough, <laughs> you can see why this mountain, this, this path up the mountain never works. No one's ever good enough. And so they have to create this new kind of idea. It's like, well, okay, so you die. Then you can get, people can get baptized for you because you're dead. And so then you can maybe get another chance, another shot, another, uh, another way up. Maybe not on this planet, but maybe somewhere else. Because the idea is this mountain's not going to work. Because it's predicated on your good works. This is why they go door to door. Because they have to. They have to go door to door because evangelism is part of the good works. They have to do this in order to become their own Jehovah and get their own planet. And so good works get stacked in. And so, yes, you do a lot of good things and you're a sweet person and you're kind. But at the end of the day, it, it, it also changes what you believe about Jesus. Because then Jesus also is basically as holy or as much God as you are. Literally, he's, he's a son of God. You're a son of God. We're all kids of God. And if we can just figure it, if we can just be good enough, then we'll be elevated. But that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that Jesus is specifically different than you and I. He's not like you and I. He has a different DNA entirely. He was, it says, uh, for, uh, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only. Only means unique. There's not two, three, four, five, six, only. His only. Not, well, not one of seven million, but his only. And then it says begotten son. Now the word begotten means to reveal. It doesn't mean to create. So God did not create, the Father did not create the Son. He didn't give birth to the Son. He didn't make the Son out of clay or anything like that. The, the Son, Jesus, is equal with the Father, and he has lived as long as the Father, which is forever. 
And, and, and he has in himself, he has eternity, meaning that he is eternal. Now, you and I are eternal um, moving forward from the moment we're created. We're, our, our physical body is going to die, but our spirit is going to live forever. But we're not eternal looking backward. We didn't exist somewhere else before this. So the idea of reincarnation, for instance, is based on a wrong view of Jesus. It's based on this idea that Jesus also was created because he was just a prophet according uh, you know, to, 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 to Hinduism. He was, just, he was a good teacher and he talked about the seven pillars and blah, blah, blah. And, but, 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 but he wasn't God himself. He wasn't eternal. And so when, you, when we realize through the Holy Spirit that Jesus was eternal, what that, what that does is it lets us know that, that Jesus is not just a teacher, not just a prophet, but he is God himself. So in the Old Testament, you have something that the Jews would call in their Bible, the angel of the Lord. And it's interesting, there's a passage where, where Moses is out tending his sheep uh, out in the backside of the, of, the, of the Midian desert, and he sees this bush that's burning. You guys remember that scripture? This is why Don didn't need drugs anymore, because you get verses, stories like this, you know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, the bush is burning, and, it's, and it's, yet it's not burning, but it's burning, and it's not, it's not being consumed. And so he walks over to it. He says, I'm going to check out what this thing is. And then the bush starts talking to him, All right? The shrubbery starts talking, and uh, the, 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 the bush calls out to him, and the Bible calls the bush the angel of the Lord. It says it's the angel. The angel means messenger. So it is the messenger of the Lord, okay. So then the messenger of the Lord starts claiming to have made man's mouth, to have created man. The angel of the Lord claims to give Moses particular power uh, to deliver the people of God out of Egypt. The angel of the Lord claims to know the future. And throughout the Old Testament, you're going to find the angel of the Lord being interchangeably used with the Lord himself, receiving worship, knowing the future, having all power, well, who is this angel? He's the captain of the army of the Lord when he, when he appears to Joshua. Who is this, this angel? He's the, it, this, this would be Jesus. Because Jesus is the Lord, but he is also coming from the Lord. He's also been revealed or put forth or unveiled by God. That God the Father pulled back the veil and revealed the Son. Didn't create him but revealed them. And so, and so false teachers will say, well, Jesus started acting. He started doing things when he was born in Bethlehem. But the Bible teaches that he had been doing things all along, that he came to his own and his own received him not. His own, the ones that he had already created, the ones that he had already breathed life into, the ones that he had already met with on the mountain called Mount Sinai, he came to his own. So what that tells me is that God, that Jesus, when I'm praying to Jesus, I'm not just praying to a spirit that is helpful or a spirit that wants to uh, empower me or to do different things. I'm praying to God himself, the creator of the universe. The one who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. He is not separate from God, even though we describe him as such, right? We talk about the Son of God, and we talk about the Father. It sounds like they're separate, but they're not. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all together one. Three distinct persons, but not separate. You say, well, how do you explain that? I don't. Because <laughs> it's, it's a mystery. Exactly. Last week's sermon. I don't know, and it's Okay. The bi- this, this, this is the problem with, with humans, is if you wait until you wrap your mind around it, if you make the Bible and God submit to your logic, it never will. 
Similarly, if you were going up Mount Everest and you're like, well, I need to see the whole path first. You can't. It's 29,000 feet. <laughs> you got to grab the rope and start walking. That's literally what you have to do. You have to trust that somebody has gone before you. They've placed that rope for you and they know the way and you don't. And that's okay. You don't have to know the way. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be able to explain how the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are one, but also three, but also one. You simply read it in Scripture, and you say, okay, I believe it. There's one who sits on the throne, and then he has a scroll in the book of Revelation. I think it's chapter 14. And then there's a lamb that's been slain from the foundations of the world who comes up and takes the scroll from the one who's sitting on the throne. The Father and the Son look separate, but they're not. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. And so, we, we, so the key is, and this, is, this, this was my response to the girl that had a trouble with, with City Chapel, and I, and I think, honestly, with the Bible in general. She said, I just can't believe in a God who creates hell and then, and then, and then makes everybody figure, figure it out, or, or, or he punishes them. And I said, well, that's, that's where you're wrong. God does not make everyone figure it out. God does not expect you to figure it out. God expects you to believe what he has said. And if you haven't read his word, like if you're in some remote village somewhere in the middle of Timbuktu and you've never seen his word, then the Bible says that you have things all around you. You have trees, you have nature, you have a sky. Like people, we're still finding unreached people groups and these unreached people groups still usually have some form of deity that they worship. Why is that? Why is every population on every continent and everywhere, they're, they're totally removed from you know, modern society and yet they still worship something? Well, because they're made to worship and they look around and they see that there's so much that's bigger than them. And so the Bible says that, that you don't have to figure out all the right words, but if you simply worship the one who is bigger than you, if you simply submit yourself to the one as much as you know, as much as you are capable of, because this is the thing, you've stepped into somebody else's planet <laughs> You're living in someone else's body that was created by someone else. And that someone has come to you and has shared with you the truth of his perspective of things. And if you choose to believe, literally, as many, Scripture says, as many as believed on Jesus, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. If you choose to believe, he will give power to go up the mountain. But it really is a faith thing. It is a choosing to believe. Not a pursuit of knowing the right thing, but a pursuit of walking with the right person and accepting what he says. And it, it takes a lot of humility for us Westerners especially. I think some of these folks in remote areas are not nearly as prideful because they don't have cell phones and, <laughs> and fantasy football and careers to pursue. They're not stocking up their bank account. There's a certain amount of pride that comes with all the things we collect. And it's not bad. All the stuff is fine. But the, 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 the pride that rises up and says, well, I don't know. The Bible says it, but I don't know. I don't know about that. That doesn't, that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> okay? And you, you can actually get so delusional and so, de, so deceived that you'll stand up in front of millions of people and tell them, well, there's got to be multiple ways because I can't see any other way around it. Well, wow, okay. The humility, though, to say, I can't see any way, but yet he says this. 
And so I choose to believe this. That's where the power of God comes from. And so as a church, I would like for us to, uh, one, all believe what the Bible says. Uh, if you're struggling to believe, that's fine. You're, you're, you're welcome here because it's far out. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it doesn't come natural. The things that the Bible, even the thing I'm talking about here, that God is, Jesus is preexistent. Like that's, whoo, that's out there. It doesn't come natural. It comes by faith. And so sometimes you have to keep going for it, keep thinking about it, keep pursuing until, until you truly believe. And so if you're here today and if you don't believe, you're welcome. But I want you to get to a place where you do believe. Because there's only one way up this mountain, and it's really important that you follow Jesus. And so as a church, I, I also want us, those of us that do believe in Jesus, I want us to know who we believe in. Like, more than just a, 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 a song on Caleb, I want us to know who we believe in. You're going to find that in Scripture. You're going to find that in the Word. But uh, there's also some pretty good resources, uh, some ancient resources known as creeds uh, that have been written for the Christian church uh, to, to compile uh, the things that are written in Scripture. And so we're getting ready to close today, and um, that's when the coffee will be available uh, whenever, we, whenever we close. Uh, we're going to end service, and uh, our awesome coffee folks are going to be there uh, to, to, to help you out with your coffee needs. Um, but before we do, I would like for us just as a church to stand and just share in a common confession, in a homo lagos a uh, unified saying that the church has been doing for years. And, and maybe just even as a church, we can, I'm even thinking about ways that we can incorporate this just weekly into our worship service. Um, if it's new to you, uh, it's okay. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And um, if you're a Christian, it should line up with what you believe. There's a couple of words that are a little interesting just before we get into it. Uh, it's going to be a video. It's just, the words are going to pop up here, and we'll read them together. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of words that might throw you off. One, because uh, it's old. It's like 1,700 years old. So written a long time ago. Uh, one word, Jesus descended into hell. Um, that idea of hell would mean death or Hades, not necessarily the place of burning, um, because Scripture doesn't teach that Jesus, like, actually went into a place of destruction. Uh, he did, however, in First Peter, go to the place of the dead, and he talked to, he preached the gospel to some spirits that were in chains. That's an interesting passage. So uh, he, he descended into death or into Hades or into hell, uh, but also it says, I believe in one Catholic church. Um, the word Catholic means universal or global. In other words, there's only one church. There's city chapel and there's point community, but there's only one church. And so I, I believe that. And I don't believe in the Roman Catholic Church per se, but I do believe in one global, unified uh, African or American or Dutch or Chinese church. There's one church, and uh, we all have different expressions. So anyway, that, that just kind of helped explain. So if we could just have the, the video, and let's, let's read it together. Let's confess it together as a church, and then we'll be dismissed. Um, let's see. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. 
From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you can give Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you for joining with us from home.